It's Monday, June 11th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Dallas, Texas. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke, and specifically, we're looking at Luke chapter 21. And so as we get to this opportunity to look at Luke chapter 21, we are going to see that Jesus is talking about the end times. And certainly the end times is something that is brings a lot of speculation for the Christ follower or, or maybe someone who's not a Christ follower. What is it going to look like when the world ends? What will it look like when Christ comes to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? And so Jesus touches on the, the foretelling of the, the destruction of the temple, uh, the foretelling of wars and persecution, the foretelling of the coming back of the Son of Man. And so while we read this chapter, certainly there is some, uh, uh, will be some of us an, an air of uncertainty. And we may even ask ourselves, what does all of this mean? And more specifically, how does this fit into the timeline of my life? There's a, there's a tone, though, of certainty to the words of Christ. While we may read this and be uncertain about the times, and the months, and the years, Christ's words are certain. As a matter of fact, we're going to see in this chapter, chapter 21, Jesus uses the word will 31 times along with very, very strong language. He will say, we will. For instance, Luke chapter 21, verses 6 through 9, he uses the word will seven times. He says this in starting in verse 6. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. The time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must take place, but the end will not be at once. So Christ preaches and teaches with words of certainty. So imagine you're one of the disciples or the followers or a bystander uh, of Jesus, and he says the temple's going to be destroyed like we just read in verses 6 through 9. Imagine that you're an American citizen and you learn that the White House is going to be destroyed right? We would be, we'd be frightened. What in the world? Like, like the White House, the, the place where our president, the leader of our nation is going to be destroyed. But this was so much stronger to the Jewish people because this didn't just represent their nation. This represented where the, the spirit of the Lord would dwell, right? The temple was the, the place of the Holy of Holies where, where the actual God dwelt in the temple. And so this was a big deal for the Jews. This would be a huge deal for him to say the temple is going to be destroyed. The temple had already been destroyed twice before and rebuilt. So to, to the Jewish and to the bystander and disciples, this, this passage is ominous and perplexing to them. Yet Jesus speaks with certainty because he knows that the temple will no longer be where God resides, but he will live in the hearts of his followers. So if you're a Christ follower listening to Luke 21 this, today, then you are the temple and the indwelling of the Holy God. So as we read this passage on this side of the cross, we aren't worried about the physical temple, but we are anxious to know when Christ will return and set up his kingdom and reclaim this sinful fallen world. Why? So that we know when Christ will 
make all things right again, but also so that we can have an urgency in preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. While Jesus doesn't unfold a timeline, a chart, a felt board, or end times calculator with a slide rule, he does very plainly paint the sequence for the end to come. And so this is what Luke chapter 21 tells us this morning today. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And then verse 5, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, days will come, when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he, Jesus said, verse 10, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. There will be opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I, I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let those who are on the, out of the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth distresses all nation and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People feigning with fear, with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. And as soon as they come out in leaf, you will see for yourself that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going on to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him, in the temple to hear him. And so, beloved, we see today, not a, not a timeline or a chart, but we see these, these six sequences that Jesus leads us through. And quickly, there's first, false teachers and rumors of war, right? Verse 9, and he says, but the end will not be at once. So just because you see false teachers and rumors of war, don't think that that's the end time. He says, then second, verses 10 through 12, there'll be persecution, natural disaster, war, and hatred of Christ's bride. Then third, in verses 20 through 24, he says the destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be destroyed. We know that's happened, 
right? And then fourth, he says the times of the Gentiles in Jerusalem, verse 24. So the Muslim mosque, right, is right now in the center of Jerusalem. There are Gentiles all throughout Jerusalem. There's a Christian part. There's a Jewish part. There are Gentiles in Jerusalem. The Palestinians are in the Gaza Strip and throughout the promised land shown to Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. So fourth sequence is the Gentiles in Jerusalem. But then fifth, we see cosmic distress, verses 25 and 26. The cosmos will be in distress. Everything will be coming undone. But then finally, the sixth is the coming, the second coming of Christ, verses 27 and 28. So what does the sequence mean for us today that Jesus lays out here in Luke chapter 21? Should we split hairs over which sequence we are currently living in? Should we try to do time charts and slide rules to tell how long the sequences are between each other so we can know exactly a day and a time when Jesus will come back? No, the word of God says it's not for us to know. Only God the Father knows when Jesus will come back. So, so what is this purpose of this passage for us today? I believe that the, there is certainty in this passage because Jesus gives us what I want us to see today, eight ways to shine the gospel while we're waiting for the end to come. And so we're not waiting for the end to come by wringing our hands or, or getting ready for some type of glorious party, but we are waiting for the end to come so that we can shine the gospel to those who are lost and to those who are perishing. And so I want us to see eight ways that we can be preparing while we're waiting for the end to come. Number one, we surrender it all to Christ. Look again at this passage. Jesus talks about this poor widow who gave all she had. She contributed, verse four, all out of her, for everybody else was contributing out of their abundance, but she, this poor widow, gave out of her poverty and she put in all she had to live on. The widow here gives everything she has to the Lord. She doesn't pause to consider the cost because she knows that Christ is worth her all. The truth here is that it's no sacrifice to sell everything you have in order to gain Christ. It's not a sacrifice. This is why Paul confidently says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The Lord, beloved, is supremely worthy of our sacrifice and we will never be able to outgive him. Imagine if this widow came to you today and told you that she was thinking of giving everything that she had to the Lord to put it in the offering plate. We might dissuade her or convince her, hey, the Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows that you want to do that. And, 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 but you just don't have to do all of that. Maybe do part of it. And the God really knows your heart. But the truth is Jesus welcomed her surrender. And this is the gospel call to turn away from the world, to turn away from sin, and to turn away from our own faux control in order to solely depend on him. We depend on Christ because he is the sufficiency. We cannot control tomorrow. We don't know what trial may come that would take all of our wealth anyway. But we know the one who holds the future, and that is Jesus Christ. And we can trust Christ with all of our plans, all of our pursuits, all of our dreams, and all of our finances. Paul reminds us in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 25, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny what? Himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would seek to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Oh, beloved, while we are waiting for the end to come, surrender it all to Christ. Give him everything you have because he is supremely worth it. But that brings us to number two, be on guard for false teaching. 
Verses 8 through 9 tells us that, that be careful because some have been led astray. For many will come in the name of Christ and say, I'm he, or the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Right? Do not go after these false teachings. Beloved, be careful. We must guard our hearts from the wisdom of this age, from the prosperity gospel, from false teachings, and from anything that doesn't measure up with the word of God. Do not let hopelessness, despair, loneliness, or true depression allow you to take your eyes off the promises of Christ. Sin is real. Hurt is deep. And the pain of this fallen world will take your breath away. But ultimately, only the coming of the kingdom of our God can bring complete healing. You see, beloved, we have, have been tricked to put our hope in vain worldly philosophies or to put so much stock in our techniques or anything that's outside of the word of God. It's only an act. The only act that will bring wholeness in your life is the hope of the coming kingdom. The world is fallen, sin is real, pain is real, and the only day that is coming that will bring true healing is the day when Jesus comes back and claims his kingdom and makes all things that were, uh, that were broken, he makes them untrue. Everything that was sad will be made untrue when Jesus comes back. So we got to beware of false teaching. We have to be aware of worldly philosophy, and we have to be aware of anything that would lead our eyes off the gospel and the hope of the second coming of Christ. Now, now hear me. If you truly are struggling with depression or pain, this doesn't mean that we turn away from counselors or we turn away from other techniques. What it means is we do not put our hope in counselors. We do not put our hope in techniques and we never put our hope in worldly philosophy. Because there is a day that is coming, a day that will never end. In the light of God's glory, everything broken is going to be made whole again. God will dry every tear and everything sad will be made untrue. It will be a celebration that all of creation is longing for. And that's the day when Jesus comes back again to reclaim his kingdom. And so while we still are here, we have a time to shine the gospel. So let's shine the gospel, let's preach the gospel, and let's beware of false teaching. And that brings us to number three, preach the gospel with urgency. Verse 13, Luke chapter 21, there's all these calamities that are happening, right? You know, famines and pestilence and earthquakes and various types of plagues. And there's going to be lots of persecutions and you'll be delivered into synagogues and prisons and you'll brought before kings and governors for my name's sake is what Jesus is telling these disciples and his followers. And then verse 13, and it's short, but don't miss it. Verse 13, amidst all the horrible things that will happen, it says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Oh, so often we look for the perfect opportunity to make the gospel known and to speak the truth. We're looking for that time when someone actually comes up to us, up to us and says, what must I do to be saved? We're looking for that Ethiopian eunuch that Philip found in, in Acts where the, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading through Isaiah and all of a sudden he says, what must I do to come into this kingdom? Jesus lets us know that the perfect time is not when someone comes and asks us. The perfect time is when we are persecuted, slandered, marginalized, and oppressed. The Lord calls us to this, but doesn't leave us alone. As he promises in verse 15, he will give us the words to say. Huh. He says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. He's going to tell us what to say. And beloved, we may be persecuted and put to death, but we will not be truly harmed. What can they really do to us when our hope is in the life to come? But we must be urgent because while the Christ followers end is a certain celebration, the lost has a certain future that's staked in separation from God and everything good, lovely, and admirable. 
The lost are taking daily a closer step to existence apart from God, which is known as hell. So we must preach the gospel because we are not living for this life. Oh, if this life is all that we have, then we are most of all to be pitied. Oh, but this is not all because Christ Jesus has risen and conquered death and sin. So Christ follower, while we wait, preach the gospel with great urgency. If anything ever goes wrong in our lives and and we wind up someplace we've never planned and it seems like a total catastrophe, you can know at least one of God's purposes for having you there, that you will have an opportunity to bear witness of Christ Jesus. Oh, beloved, bear witness of Christ Jesus. While our culture is falling apart, while our beliefs are being marginalized and suppressed, know this, beloved, that when the culture comes against you, what a great time to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are sinful but Jesus has come to redeem us. We must preach this gospel with urgency because what's our hope is a disaster and a nightmare for those that are lost. And that brings us to number four, risk your life for the cause of God. Verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, you'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Oh, when we dream of a ministry that God may have for us, we can think of risk it may cost our relationships and risk it may cost with our money or standard of living or risk it may cost with our reputation or safety as we witness to his grace. But Jesus says that Christians will get arrested so that they can witness to jailers and judges and governors. We may not like God's strategy to sprinkle his salt in the tough places of the empire, but he is wiser than we are. When the world is without the gospel and perhaps even hostile to it, it's the right for someone to say with the Apostle Paul, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may accomplish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. We risk it all for the sake of making much of Jesus. Oh, it is the will of God that we be uncertain about how life on this earth will turn out for us. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And that's God's will. And therefore, it's also the will of the Lord that we take risk for the cause of God. Oh, beloved, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow in our safe, comfortable picket fence in a cul-de-sac. We aren't promised tomorrow in the safety of the, the neighborhoods that we try to create. So why wouldn't we risk it all for the sake of Christ? Because we trust that it is the Lord that holds the future. And so we risk it all for the cause of God and the cause of his gospel. But that brings us to number five. Stay devoted to the word. Verse 22, Jesus says, For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill what all that is written. And then verse 33, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Seek the Lord through his word every morning. Know God's word so that you can decipher the times and so that the man of God may be equipped. Hide God's word in your heart so that you may be inoculated against false teaching and false wisdom. Let the word of God be a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path. As Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, he says this, but as for you, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from the childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Oh, beloved, when we look at this, we stay devoted to the word of God. Why do we stay devoted to the word of God? Because ultimately it helps us with all the others we've talked about. If we're going to surrender it all to Christ, we better know the word of God so we know who we're surrendering to. If we're going to be guard on guard for false witnesses, we better be devoted to the word so we can know what's false teaching. So we can determine and decipher what's false teaching. If we're going to preach the gospel with urgency, we better know the gospel of the kingdom that's found in his word. And if we're going to risk our life for the cause of God, what better way to know what that looks like than by being devoted to the word of God. So we weave to be devoted to the word of God, not devoted to our favorite TV show, not devoted to our favorite entertainment, but devoted to God's word. Let's stay devoted to God's word. And that brings us to number six. Always be alert for the coming kingdom of Christ. Verse 27 and 29, it tells us, Jesus says that the Son of Man, well, you'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your head, because your redemption is drawing near. Look up, look away, look out, and know that Jesus is coming. Straighten up and raise your heads, verse 28 says. Our redemption is close at hand. We may be bent over by turmoil and calamity, but have hope because our redemption is near. Christ is near, so we live, breathe, dream, and look forward with great hope and anticipation. Know the signs. Be alert and don't be drawn into temptation or to allow sin to master you. We do not allow sin to master us because we know that at any point the master may come back. I love what Jesus says when in Matthew's gospel when he's talking talking about the coming kingdom. He says, if the servants knew the hour and the time of the master, they'd had the house looking really nice. They'd had everything picked up. But beloved, he will come like a thief in the night. So be ready. Do not allow sin to master you. And that brings us to number seven, pray and guard your heart. To be ready, we must be prayerful. We must be a people who have an attitude of prayer. Prayer for the lost, prayer for justice, prayer for the nations, and prayer that we will not fall into temptation, but be delivered from evil as we near the day when God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from evil, every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Oh, we must be a people that are uh, in the attitude of prayer and we must guard our heart. And that brings us to number eight. We follow Christ. Verses 37 through 38. This is the way the chapter 21 closes. This is an every day. He, Jesus, was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. We must sit at the feet of Jesus and follow him. Oh, I love what Hebrews says, chapter 12, verses one through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw aside every weight and sin which so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow or weary or faint-hearted. Oh, beloved, if we're going to make it to the end, we got to follow Christ. So, beloved, may we be ready and on guard as we wait for the coming of Christ while continually shining the light of the gospel. 
And so this week, we are praying for our domestic adoption programs, and we are specifically praying that our country and its leadership would submit itself to the authority of God. We are praying for more expectant mothers to choose life for their children. We're praying for protection over the ministry of Lifeline. We are praying for wisdom and discernment for our attorneys as they guide us, uh, the adoptive parents and birth parents, through what are sometimes difficult circumstances. We're praying for wisdom to know how to navigate both emotionally and legally all parties involved in the adoption, including birth fathers. We're praying for birth mothers and adoptive parents who, who may feel anxiety over difficult legal situations. We're praying for peace as families wait for God to bring children into their families. We're praying for families who struggle with miscarriages and infertility, and we're praying that they will not rush into adoption too quickly, but but will be prayerful and have a discerning spirit. We're praying for extended families and friends of, of waiting couples to be a community of support during their wait. We're praying for courage and peace when they hear no, and they pray that their identity is in Christ, not parenthood. Oh, we're praying for families as they learn the heart of open adoption and choose their level of openness and just pray that our staff would prepare them well and, and that these families would desire to share the gospel above all else and would navigate openness with wisdom. We're praying for situations where the birth mother and adoptive parents struggle with their mutual openness. We're praying for children who are adopted, that they would benefit from the openness between their parents and birth parents and for the staff working with these families and all of our domestic staffs. States, we're, we're, we're praying for mission-minded families that will be brought to life by the Lord to Lifeline to minister to these women and children. And we're praying that each woman we serve domestically so far in 2008 will come to an understanding of the gospel of Christ Jesus. So Lord, uh, we, we pray today uh, on behalf of you that you will be with these women and children, that you'll be with these women who are struggling with the decision for life, that you would whisper in their ear the delicate, wonderful decision for choosing life for the child that's in their womb. We pray for these families that are stepping up to adopt these children. We pray that they would have patience as they wait. We pray that you would prepare them with fortitude and, and that you would prepare them as they get ready to bring a child in their home. And we pray above all, Lord, that the gospel would go forth to these women and children and families and that they would hear the light of the gospel with urgency. Lord, be with these women, be with these children, and Lord, be with our staff as they serve you through our domestic adoption program. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, obviously, we are in the, the summertime, and we have many things this summer for you to get engaged with Lifeline. One such thing is Stand for Orphans, and that is our, our summer-long campaign where we encourage children and, and families to get engaged by doing lemonade stands or, or stands with other type of baked goods to raise money for orphans around the world. We also have our Mission Kid uh, emphasis that's going out throughout the summer for VBSs and, and other uh, types of ministry activities. Uh, in September, we'll end the summer with our Run for One for Unadopted. And then also this summer, we still have some open trips. If you want to go on a mission trip last minute with Unadopted to serve orphans in their country and their context text, please go to unadopted.org to sign up for one of our trips. But because we are looking at Stand for Orphans time, this summer is a perfect time to engage the whole family in orphan care. So my family and I have had the opportunity to serve together for the past several years through Stand for Orphans. And so as a listener of the Defender podcast, we want to give you some exclusive merchandise. If you will use the code STAND for orphans, plural, in our store online at Lifeline Adoption or LifelineChild.org, you will get our newest Stand for Orphan tees and you will get $5 off that newest t-shirt. So again, use the code Stand for Orphans, plural, in our store to get $5 towards our newest Stand for Orphans tee. 
Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.